Hello friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and our adult Bible study series entitled Beyond Sunday, when we're challenged to take our faith beyond just Sunday and live it out Monday through Saturday. And we've, I've been enjoying this series. This week we are on Lesson 5, and I'll say it at the beginning, I give a lot of introduction at the beginning, so if you're kind of late to this study, I do encourage you to go back and listen to the other episodes, but we will recap where we are. This week, our emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been the the person, the subject behind everything that I've been saying, but I haven't had a lesson just on the Holy Spirit. And so this week, that is what it is. So without further ado, here is this week's adult Bible study. All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3 to start. Ephesians chapter 3 to start. And I want to end in Galatians 5 to set us up for next week and fruit of the spirit but i want to we i've been reviewing each week on purpose not to uh annoy you but you know repetition is the key we have some new people that come in from time to time but i do believe that in this type of series that's building on each one we need to remember where we have come from and so i've got my uh, little this little drawing up here little timeline if it's kind of stubby because of the size of the board but you can if you can see it, the first part deals with when we were unsaved, when we have went back before we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. When we're unsaved, we live after our natural ways. We're born in sin. We're conceived in sin, as David said. We live in our sinful ways. But then there comes a time in our life, at some point, hopefully for everyone in here, if you haven't, you can talk to us about that, but when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And when you, when you realize that there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to get to heaven, that you are bankrupt of any righteousness, it's only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you cry out to God and you confess your sin and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to save you. For me, I was 12 years old. I don't know when it was for you, but I know it wasn't by some good work or some action or something that you did because we can't do anything. The Bible says... It's not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You know, a gift isn't a great gift if you have to pay for it. If someone said, hey, here's a gift. It costs you $200 a month. You think, where's the gift part of that? I don't want it. It's costing me. And so salvation is a gift from Jesus Christ. It cost us nothing, but it cost him everything. He gave his life. He died. He was buried. He rose again victorious over sin and death. For me, that happened at 12. For you, it may have been another time. Now, what I've been saying in this series is we always then almost skip to, well, one of these days I'm going to die. And now because of what I did here, when I die, I get to go to heaven. That's glorification. Justification is when I get saved. Glorification is when I'm in heaven. And that's what we think about. All right, now that I did this, one of these days, the scary time when I take my last breath, I'll be in heaven. So that period in between, we struggle with. They well, what do I do? Do I? And a lot of people think, well, I just got to be the best I can. If it's on me and I got to do everything. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Christian life didn't start by me. It was Jesus Christ. So in this period that the biblical, the word that, the, let me say not biblical, the college word that we use is sanctification sanctification but i've been using synonyms like biblical change growing in christ growth spiritual maturity all of these terms are the same for sanctification 
And just like what we've learned is salvation was by faith. Me saying, God, I cannot do this. I'm crying out to you. And by faith, he saved me. I didn't see anything. By faith, he saved me. I believe one day when I die, I'm going to heaven. Not because of anything I did, because of what Jesus did. Well, then why do I think that there's so often, not me, I'm saying I and we as general as Christians, think that the sanctification part is by our own works. Jesus said, in, or God said in Colossians chapter number 2, verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus. Well, I received him by faith when I humbled myself. So listen to this verse. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. So the same way I got Jesus is the same way I need to walk every day, which goes on to tell us that we need to walk by faith every day. Sanctification is this journey of faith. That's your first review note there. It's a journey of faith called sanctification. The goal of this journey is to be more like Jesus Christ. See, once you become a Christian, the goal of your life is to not get riches. The goal of your life is not to be famous. The goal Now, all, some of that may come. Like I said, if you've got riches, hey, we've got expenses, all right? That's fine. No, I'm just kidding. If you get riches, that's, that's fine. But it's not a guarantee because the goal of sanctification is not to make you rich or famous. It's to make you like Jesus Christ. We've talked about how biblical change is not just a relief from your symptoms. But this was one of my favorite points, so I emphasize it every week briefly. So often we think that our, our situation's changed and now we're in a better mood and so now I'm walking with God. No, you're not. You're just in your flesh, but it's disguised by your better situations. The moment your situations get bad, you're going right back to that person you are. So what's, what we really need is biblical change. Biblical change says, hey, everything in life may be chaos, but Jesus hasn't failed me and I'm still going to try to obey him. Now, it's going to be a fight. It sounds easy and I'm going to get to it in a second. Sounds easy. All right, so even when things are bad, I need, to walk, I, need to, I need to still obey God and walk by faith. All right, sounds good. Well, then we get to this, the problem. We, let, me, let me go through my bullet points here. The person bringing about this change is the Holy Spirit who resides in me. Now, that's about all I've said about the Holy Spirit, a few basic things. That's why this week's lesson is going to emphasize Him. But we have a responsibility. We have to obey in faith. But it's combined with the Holy Spirit's empowering to bring change. I used a plow for that illustration saying, I cannot pick up a plow and pull it myself. It's too big. I need to get in the tractor, abide in the tractor, and it will do it. And when it's done, I will say, I plowed the field, but it, yet not I, Galatians 2, but the tractor. Yet not I, but Christ. It's not me that does the Christian life. It's really God through me. But I have to abide in him. Just like a farmer has to abide in that tractor, he's not plowing that field. So, but this journey of faith isn't without its enemies. It all sound rosy and good if I could stop the lessons there and said, hey, just go do it. But the problem is we have enemies. And the three enemies in the Christian life is Satan. We know that. The master. The world. And the flesh. The world is the outside culture. The way the world thinks. We could get into that, but I won't. It's the outer enemy but the flesh is our internal traitor. We're born with that flesh, that divine nature. The flesh is what wants us to go beyond what we should do. The flesh is what pushes us beyond the limits of what the Bible and God allow and wants us to go beyond it, take our desires to a whole other level that we should not go. The flesh works along with the world. The world tempts the flesh. 
It's just like advertising. If a new, when that new Apple phone comes out in September, they're going to put a commercial of some sort on my phone to show me. And you know what inside of me is going to say? Even though I just got a new one last year, I've got to have this new phone. And I'm going to think of every way possible to talk my wife into it. And she's going to probably say, hey, your contract's not up. You need to wait. And I'm going to agree, but I'm going to want that phone. Why? Because the desire, that covetous desire is like, but it's brand new. And look at the cool upgrades. There's going to be no upgrades probably. But, but I just, I think because it's new, I have to have it. It's a desire. Now, when our desires get too strong, go beyond the natural that's the flesh the world will put pictures on a Budweiser commercial and do they usually put the ugliest women you can find on a Budweiser commercial do they go out and say I need I need a poll for the absolute ugliest person possible to hold this beer can is that what they do no they put someone that they think will appeal to they wouldn't say it this way but your flesh that's, what they, that's advertising what it does. Well, the world works with the flesh and Satan's the puppeteer behind it to, to hinder us. So as we are on this journey of faith, there's some enemies that are trying to stop us from growing. Just as G, now Satan can't take away your salvation because Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and you'll never perish. So Jesus can't lie. He can't take your salvation. But if he can destroy your testimony so that no one looks at you and sees Jesus Christ... Or if he can hinder you from ever being, from being powerless, from doing anything for God. Because I don't believe the sanctification process is us sitting back saying, well, one of these days I'm going to get to heaven. No, no, no. I think we are in a battle. I think we are now with, on God's, can I say team just because they're in sports and everything like that? Can I say that? And God wants us to go out and tell others about him. He wants us to serve him. But so often we're just like, hey, I'm going to sit back, live in sin, and get, wait till I get to heaven. That's not the Christian life. So we have our enemies. We started to talk about how do we defeat this flesh, that just internal traitor that we struggle with. I said it starts with an attitude of humility. We've got to be broken and saying, God, I, I need you right now. I'm broken. And then we have to claim our position in Christ, which is I am dead with Christ and I'm rose again. So the sin doesn't have any more dominion over me. Sin's not my master. It's not my boss. Jesus is. And then last week we talked about we have to have a desire to know God and a discipline to meditate in God's Word. This book right here is our guide. This is it. So if you and I are not in this book right here and trying to study it and learn it, you say, well, I just don't understand. Well, you have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about that today inside of you. He'll help you. He'll guide you. He'll teach you. Take your time. Don't get impatient. And get in this book because it's God's love letter to us. It's a guide for us to follow. While the world is saying this is the normal standard, this is the true, actual, normal standard according to God. So the world may say something's good, but if it goes against this, this is where we stand. But if we don't know this, we got problems. So, but the Bible doesn't say promise to prosper Bible readers. But the Bible does say multiple times to prosper, not in riches necessarily, but prosper Bible meditators. Meditate means I'm going, to, I'm going to get into it, I'm going to study it, and it's going to be a part of my thinking and the way of life for the rest of my life. So last week, that's where we were. But subtly, kind of, a, a, there's been an underlying theme in all of this that I've not just stopped and talked about. I've mentioned, I should say him, multiple times, but... I'm not dedicated a lesson to this subject, and I want to today, 
but because behind all of this, behind the studying of your Bible, is the author of the Bible, behind the power of of producing the fruit that we're going to see next week, the fruit of the Spirit, is the Spirit. Behind the, 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 the ability to serve God is the Spirit that empowers you. So I've not talked about the Holy Spirit yet, but I've talked about everything that He does for you. And so let's back up one week before we get into the fruit of the Spirit and talk about the Holy Spirit. All right, all that intro, which we needed, I think, in um, 15 minutes in. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 14, when it says this. Coming across my favorite verse today. We'll get there in a second. I'll tell you which one. But look at verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, notice these next three words, by his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Notice that not by works, by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. That's last week's lesson. So the Spirit helps us to know God in a greater and deeper way. When you desire something, you pursue it. If you desired an Apple phone, you're going to pursue that. If you, but if you desire God, you will pursue Him. And the Spirit helps you with those desires. But then verse uh, 19, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now verse 21, my favorite verses. Now unto Him, unto God, that is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, Think, but how? According to the power that worketh in who? Us. Well, who abides in us? That's the Holy Spirit. So you're telling me that God is able to do exceeding. That's big. Abundantly. That's big. Above all that I ask. Sometimes I ask some pretty big things. But he says, ask or even think. I think even bigger things than I ask, and I'm afraid to even say it sometimes because I'm like, this is too big. But God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, his Holy Spirit. Do you think Moses, he didn't have this verse back in his day, but when Moses saw the Red Sea part, do you think, wow, that is exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or even think? I mean, it wasn't like Moses was thinking, all right, God, I'm going to think about this. There's no way you can do this, but I'm going to think about this. And all of a sudden, he's like, wow, no. He didn't even think that. Do you think Joshua thought about God making the, moon, the sun and the moon to stand still when he was fighting? He didn't know. He was just praying, saying, God, you got to do something. And God did exceeding abundantly above all that he could ask or think and stop the sun and the moon. Let it be daylight throughout the whole time so he could win a war. You see, that's the same God that we serve today. That's the same God that indwells you, the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, during this period right here to help you. And so often we don't tap into it. A, a very, very minimal illustration of this is like having millions of dollars in your bank account and doing nothing with it. You have God in you, sanctification. And yet we're acting like we can't control our anger. We can't control our worry. We can't 
You have God in you now. The problem is we're trying to do it in our own strength and not in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we use excuses that Satan dangles in front of us like, well, I just can't do, whoa. My God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. The moment I hear or I say, I should be fair, I can't, I'm like, that's an excuse. Now, I don't always say that because it's not the kind thing to say all the time when you're counseling. Like, ah, that's an excuse. But I try to gear the conversation to, you have Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, who's able to do exceeding above all, all that we ask or think. All right, with that backdrop, let's look at your notes now. The source of God's power in our lives that really will bring about the engine behind everything we're saying in this series is the Holy Spirit. Let's see letter A there in your notes, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, when, where did the Holy Spirit come from? I want you to see this, this uh, quote first from an old evangelist from Scotland. I think, is Scotland spelled wrong there, I think? Yes. should have one T, but either way, copy and paste failed me again. But it says this, almost all weakness, both personal and corporate, in the church of God today may be traced to an incomplete understanding and recognition of the Holy Spirit. Boy, I love that. All weakness. Oh, I just can't do this. Weakness. All, all, uh, I, I, all he says, weakness in personal and corporate, the church not growing or not. All of that is comes from a not understanding the rec and recognizing the Holy Spirit, His work in our lives. The Holy Spirit in, 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 the, in our church denomination has been hijacked in a sense by the charismatics. And so back in the late 1800s when the charismatics broke off from the, we kind of got scared to talk about the Holy Spirit much because people were going around doing crazy things in the name of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know that I am behind all of the crazy things that may be happening, but what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit still lives inside of us. The Bible is still the Bible. The Holy Spirit still wants to work in your lives. And, and so often we want to see the great big Miracles like the parting of the Red Sea when just seeing victory today over your flesh is the biggest thing you need. Just the, just the encouragement to, to be kind when you want to be mean, to be loving when you want to be selfish, that's the Spirit working in your life. So I'll get to that in a little bit later in next week. But So a couple of things. Number one, the Holy Spirit's always existed because He's God. In Galatians or Genesis 1-2, it says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God, and that is in the Hebrew plural, Elohim, and it's plural, meaning God, plural. And there's not multiple gods. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are a tri trinity. Now, I'm not going to try to get sidetracked and explain the trinity today. It's extremely, uh, it's a whole other subject, but some illustrate it with like, Water. Water can be in three different forms. Water can be in a, in a mist type of form. Water can be in ice. Uh, the same water can be in a liquid form. You take a liquid right now, and I could, if I could do something quick, I could make it ice, and I could make it vaporize. All of that, all three different forms with the same water. God is three in one. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's always empowered individuals for God's service. That's always been a theme of the work of the Holy Spirit. Think of Samson. What did he do for Samson? He gave Samson great strength. If you've heard me teach on Samson before, I sometimes think we're all going to be surprised we're going to get to heaven, and I think Samson's going to be as scrawny as some of the guys in here. I think he is. Because, I, I maybe not, but we all think it's Samson, this great big strong guy, but his power was the Holy Spirit. 
So maybe he's going to look as scrawny as Ryan Welty when he gets to heaven. You never know. And we're all going to be like, that's Samson? We're all going to be talking about that in heaven one day and be like, yeah, I thought he was as ripped as Brad. No, he's not. He's, yeah, we're just kidding. So, so he's always empowered individuals for service. You think of Gideon who was scared, but God empowered him to have bravery. You think about David uh, who was just a shepherd boy, but God empowered him to beat Goliath and he wasn't even a warrior. Because that's what the Spirit does. Now, again, I hesitate to use these big illustrations because then we think, all right, then I can go out here and whip a giant or something. The giant may just be your temper. And that's a big deal. The giant may just be your lust. And that's a big deal. And so don't get lost in the Red Seas and the stomping of the moon and realize what you just need is to deal with your flesh and what I just need. And so he's empowered, promised to empower individuals for service. And then Christ promised, now, now get this, number three there in your notes, Christ promised that at his ascension, Jesus' ascension 2,000 years ago, that the Holy Spirit would come to dwell in the believer. And listen to what he said. Some of you have heard me teach on the Holy Spirit before, but if you haven't, this is the verse I like to go to. Listen to this, John 16, it should be in your notes, verse 7. John 16, 7, nevertheless, here's Jesus speaking. You can't see the red letters in, my, in our uh, notes, but it's red letters. Jesus speaking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And he's speaking to his disciples. He said, it is expedient. That's an old English word in the King James. It means it's better. It is better for you that I go away. Now, if you're a disciple 2,000 years ago, think about this. How, you're going, how is it better that you leave? I mean, you've raised the dead. You've healed the sick. You've healed the blind. I don't see that being better than what we have right now. Why would you leave and go to heaven? And he's saying, whoa, here's why it's better. When Jesus took upon the form of man in his, what's called incarnation, when he took upon the form of man, he was, he limited himself. He could only be one place at one time in his human form. So when he was with the 12 disciples, he was with the 12 disciples. Now, could he do some things around? Yes, but he had limited himself. But he said, when I go to heaven, my spirit's going to come down and be with you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's expedient. It's going to be better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, if I don't go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And then in Acts 1.8, he says, but ye shall receive power. This is right before he sends to heaven. He says, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. When do we get the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes right here at salvation. Now, it, it would be cool, like in Acts chapter 2, I said this when we taught through Acts last year, it would be really cool if it was just like Acts 2 and you saw cloven tongues of fire over your head when it happened. You just imagine if someone came forward today at the altar and got saved and all of a sudden you see these cloven tongues of fire over them, you're like, yes, they got saved in the Holy Spirit. That would be really cool. It's not how God works today. But what happens is when I, as a 12-year-old boy, bowed my head and received Jesus Christ, in that moment I didn't see anything, but the Spirit of God came and lived inside of me. You say, well, how do you know? Well, you know, the next time I went to disobey my parents, I felt guilty. And I felt the paddle on my backside. But other than that, <laughs> I felt guilty. And you know why? The Spirit of God inside is convicting me. And as I get older, the Spirit of God's convicting me, but He's also he's working in other ways. He's teaching me and helping me. And so, the Spirit of God has been promised from Jesus. He said, when I ascend, I will send Him unto you. And now at salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. 
And we know why it's at salvation. There's some other denominations that will teach you get him later. I don't believe that because the Bible says in Romans, if you don't have this, he says, he that hath not the spirit is none of his. If you don't have the spirit, you're not God's. And we're going to see, I don't know if I put it in these notes, but the spirit is the earnest of our salvation. Now I work in a bank now all of a sudden. So the earnest, I understand that that's your down payment in a sense. You're saying, here's what I'm putting down to purchase this home. Well, the earnest of our salvation is like God, God said, hey, here, I'm going to give you myself in the form of the Holy Spirit as a down payment to show you what you're going to get one day in heaven. That's the Spirit of God. That's, that's in Ephesians 2 as well. And so, so the coming of the Holy Spirit, He's always been here. He's eternal. He's God. But he, in the Old Testament, He worked in a unique way, but He could leave. But now He abides in us and He stays with us. But then i got to get to this next point, our communion. We've seen the coming, but our communion with the Holy Spirit. And then in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says this, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's Jesus, and the love of God, God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. This is what Paul wrote. The word communion there is the Greek word for participation. So he's saying the, the participating with the Holy Spirit be with you all. He was speaking as if we should all just understand this. We should all know this. But he's saying that there's a responsibility you and I have during this time period right here of sanctification. There's a responsibility to participate with the Holy Spirit. Think about some ways to participate. When I joked earlier about sinning against my parents or do something against my parents. But even right now, when the Holy Spirit, when I sin, guess what the Holy Spirit does? He convicts me. How do I participate with that? By confessing that sin. So now the Spirit did His part, I did my part, we commune together. There's a participation. There may be other times when the Spirit of God prompts me and says, you need to talk to that person. Maybe I need to witness to him and tell him about Jesus. Maybe I, need to, maybe I need to encourage him, a church member, when I just sense that they're down. And the Spirit of God may prompt me to do something. How do I participate? How do I have communion? I obey. That's my responsibility. The Spirit prompts, we obey. That's the proper, during this sanctification, the proper thing is the Spirit moves, we obey. Spirit moves, we obey. Now, I've had some people tell me before, well, the, for once, the Spirit of God told me to divorce my spouse. Whoa. Whoa. Because remember what I said about last week? We have a book right here. This is the guide. And so I could say the Spirit of God wants me to go slap Ryan in the face right now. But the Bible says, thou shalt not slap Ryan in the face. No, it doesn't say that. But I'm not to provoke him. I'm not to... If I, so we've got to be careful. Any, we, you know, there's... Can I use the word shysters? There are people out there all the time that say, well, the Holy Spirit told me to... Hold on a second. Holy Spirit is a very subjective thing. I can't see it. So you can say whatever you want. But the Bible is very objective. We can both see this. So you can say the Spirit wants you to do something, and I can say the Spirit wants you to do something. The only way we know it is if we go right here, and is it, which side is supported by this? Now, one of these days, my daughter right here is going to say, I, I think God wants me to marry this guy. And unless she's 50, the Spirit didn't say she should do it. No, no but, but I can't tell that. That is going to be between her and God. All I can look is the principles. Is she following all the principles of Scripture? And if she is, i got to trust that God is working in her life. See, so that's why we have to be careful. There is a sub subjective and objective part of this. It's got to be according to God's Word. But there are some things God's Word doesn't say. Who to marry? You just have to 
You've got to be walking in the Spirit. I'm going to get to that in just a second. You can't go against the Bible, but there are some things that the Bible doesn't say one way or the other, and you've got to be led of God to do it. There's principles in the Bible. There are commands in the Bible. But we have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Communion with the Holy Spirit is He prompts, I obey. But His promptings will always be according to the Bible. So don't try to say, Holy Spirit's leading me to do something that's directly contradictory to the Bible. It will not be the Holy Spirit. You're either being deceived by Satan or you're just trying to deceive. It's one of those two things. All right, so the communion of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't create robots. The Spirit of God uh, uh, to use, He uses the Spirit of God to work in our lives. He doesn't want the Spirit of God to bypass our mind or our body, but God wants us to cooperate with Him in the Holy Spirit, to be in partnership with the Spirit. Now, back in our text, look at verse 16 again. Verse 16, we see that the Spirit of God ministers through our inner man. He says that he says in the middle part there, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. The Spirit of God moves and works in the inner man. I can't see it. I can't see Him necessarily working in your life but i can see the results of it later when next week's all about the next week we start the series not the series but the the last part the last section five weeks of this series we're talking about the fruit of the spirit you know what the fruit of the spirit is that's just the outcome of you doing everything that we've talked about the fruit so i can see the fruit of the spirit working in your life but i can't see the holy spirit i don't know if he's working in your life right now or if you're thinking about dinner later i don't know but we can see the outcome of it sometimes years later. And so the Spirit works through our inner man. And then in verse 17, we see that the Spirit of God should always be at home in our hearts. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. The word dwell has the idea of be at home. I sometimes illustrate this. I always illustrate it this way. We usually in Colossians. But if I was to go to the Moore's house today, if they said, hey, come on over and have lunch, which wouldn't be a bad idea. No, I'm just kidding. I already have plans. I already have plans. But if I went over to the Moore's house today, if I walked in their house, no matter how much they wanted me to feel at home, I'm not going to feel at home. You know why? Because it's not my home. I'm going to worry about, okay, take, do I take my shoes off or not? Probably do. But then do my socks stink? Do they not stink? Oh, I don't know. It's church socks. They're going to stink. But I take them off anyways because it's not my home. If it's my home, I'm just walking right there. But their home, I don't know. And then where do I sit? Do I sit in his chair and he throws me out? Do I sit here? So I watch where everybody sits. You know the feeling when you're not in your home. You, they may make me feel as home as possible, but I'm not at home. But when I go to my house, I'm at home. I am comfortable. I know where I sit. I know I'll kick my kids out of my spot if they're in my spot. I mean, I'll, I won't kick my wife out, but, she'll, but I mean, I'll try. I know I'm just at home. I'm relaxed. And that's what he says we should be with the Spirit. Just be at home. He says, let Christ dwell. That's the word dwell. The Greek word is to be at home. Let him just be at home in your hearts. So it ought to be that when the Spirit of God moves, you just say, I want to do it. And before you say the words, I just can't. I'll get to your question. Just say, before you say, I can't, just remember, he can do exceeding abundantly. So if he says do it, and it's according to the word of God, just do it. Yes? If you take the dog's chair. The dog's chair? I don't even. I mean, I. This dog is as big as you are. Yeah, well, the one will be bigger than me probably one day. And so while he's young, I'm trying to teach him I'm the master. But it's not working too well. Especially yesterday when I'm chasing him down the driveway saying, stop, come here. And he's like, I'm not listening to you. But uh, now you're going to get me in the flesh real quick while I'm trying to teach this lesson, frustrated with my dogs. 
Yeah, yeah, I do. All right, so now communion involves surrender. Last point in that one, communion involves surrender to his leadership. You may hear sermons on surrender. What are they talking about? Well, communion, if I'm going to have communion with the Holy Spirit and I'm going to, he prompts and I do, that involves surrender. I've got to surrender my, my life to his leadership and trust his leadership. It, so the Spirit came into our lives as salvation, but he, he, wants to, he wants to be our loving master. We have to submit to that. It's, it, the terminology master and everything can sound so like, intimidating. Like, oh, he's, gonna be, he's the greatest master we could ever have. Think about it. He, in the form of God, sent, he died on the cross for our sins. He loves you. He's not living inside of you so he can ruin your life. He only wants, wants what's best for you. And so... The Spirit of God moves and works. All right, I got to get to. Let me. I, I always give this illustration. Some people say I always want God to take the wheel of my life, and I may be wrong on this. This is just me. I don't think that God takes the wheel of your life because that would make us robots. That just means God's driving, and we just have to go wherever. I think God likes to be in the passenger seat. My opinion only. I think God likes to be in the passenger seat, saying, "Hey, turn left here," and we yield and obey and turn left. And says, hey, turn right up here. And we yield and obey and turn right up there. I just had Mariah going through. She's got her license now, but she was in that driver's chair. And when I was, she don't know where she's going. She'd get lost when I was in this parking lot right now. So I always say, hey, turn left here, turn right here. And she would obey what I said. I personally think Jesus isn't trying to take the wheel of your life because you're not a robot. I think he wants to be in the passenger seat and wants you to surrender and obey as he turns. My personal opinion. All right. I got to quickly give you these three signs. I'll give you two of them, and then the third one is going to be a, a tease into what we're going next week, all right? So you're in Ephesians. Look at verse four, chapter 4, verse 30. Chapter 4, verse 30. I, your notes are going to say that I'm on point two now under three signs of, that we are surrendered. How do I know if I'm surrendered to the Holy Spirit? Well, there's some steps that happen when, when we walk with the Spirit. But look at chapter 4, verse 30. It says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. It's a good verse showing us that you can't lose your salvation. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. But the first part, he says there's something that we can do. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we allow sin in our lives. You know when your kids do wrong and you hear about it from the teacher and you go, oh, man. That's the feeling of the Spirit of God. Well, you can grieve the Spirit, when you sin. He wants to work with you and, and change you to be more like Jesus, but when we sin, we only grieve the Spirit of God. We know that because this passage says that, commands us not to grieve the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit when we sin. So that's why we need to make sure we confess all sin. When we do wrong, just confess it immediately. Get it right with God. If you need to get it right with somebody else, go get it right with somebody else. There's no need to break that fellowship with God. There's no need to quench the Spirit, which is the next one. I just got into the next one. But we don't want to grieve the Spirit. So immediately confess it. Because like I've said in another lesson, when you sin, it's like kinking the hose to the Holy Spirit. There's no power. There's no water coming out. There's no power. You've got to confess that sin to get the power back. Get it going. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with your sin, but confess it. Uh, Spurgeon said once as he was crossing a road, I, I think I'll try to give this illustration quick, but he was crossing the road once and he just stopped and he tipped his hat down. And then he went back up and I think it was somebody, or it was Spurgeon asked this person or he saw one or the other, but the person said, what were you doing in the middle of the road? And he said, well, as I was going across, I realized there was something sin between me and God, and I wanted to deal with it immediately. He's like, you were in the middle of the road. He said, but I had to get it right, okay? 
So whatever's in your life, just deal with it. Get, get it right with God. There's no need for it to hinder you. Because when you let it sit there, you know what happens? The world, the flesh, and the devil attack. It's an open door for them. Satan in his system will work. The world now starts to tempt you. And your flesh starts to think, well, I, should, I deserve this. And you start to go down a path. And you don't get it right then. Then you don't get it right next time. Then you don't get it right. Next thing you know, you've drifted so far from God, you don't even know where you are right now. And you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You've got to deal with that sin. Don't let it linger. And then the second one, we'll see. it's in 1 Thessalonians. The verse is so short I can read it to you. Or it's in your notes. It literally is this, quench not the Spirit. That's the verse. Quench not the Spirit. And so what does it mean to quench the Spirit? The focus on this verse is to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Remember when I talked about communion? When the Holy Spirit says do this, you say yes. Holy Spirit says witness to the person, you say yes. Holy Spirit says confess this sin, you say yes. That's the idea. When you say no, that's called quenching the spirit. It's kind of like putting a, putting a wet blanket over a fire. The spirit of God is that wants to move, wants to work, wants to help you grow and change and be used and do all these things. But the moment you say no, all of a sudden you lose the power you could get. Imagine if Moses was told, he, he wasn't told, but no, imagine he was told to raise that staff, which he was told, and he said no. I'm not going to raise my staff. It's pointless. God, just do something. Ooh, do you think he's going to see the Red Sea part? No, he would quench the spirit. What he did is he obeyed. He thought, this makes no sense. Here we go. And all of a sudden, whoa. See, when you say no to the Holy Spirit, you quench the spirit. When the spirit tells you, hey, you need to pray for that person, you say no, you quench the spirit. He was going to do something in your life right there. See, we're looking for these big Red Sea moments, and the Spirit of God is very silent sometimes and just speaks to your heart and say, hey, you need to deal with this sin. You need to go encourage this person. You need to write them a note. You need to witness. You need, you need to confess this anger. And when we say no, or we justify it, it's not my fault, it's theirs. When we start pointing finger, all of a sudden, you quench the Spirit. And what God wanted to do, He can't do. And what happens, usually the process is you quench the Spirit, and then you start getting in your flesh. Then the world tempts you. And then Satan's got a hold of you. And that, there's another passage in Ephesians that says you give place to the devil. And because of all this, you've given place to the devil. And you've drifted. Now you say, well, I don't know how I got here. Well, someone who does some deep counseling on you that could trace all this back will find a spot where you said no to the Holy Spirit. That's where it is. It may take a lot of counseling to come back, but it always comes back to somewhere where you said no to the Holy Spirit. And then you just drifted and drifted and drifting quench not the holy spirit now everybody then i'm, I'm going to be done but everybody go to galatians because this is where we're going to start next week so this is kind of like they do on those netflix series where they tease you and then they get into the next one all right but galatians chapter number five some of my favorite verses as well <clears throat> so we've said we can grieve the spirit when we sin so we don't want to grieve the spirit we can quench with the power of the Spirit when we say no to Him. What He wants to do, we say no, which is grieving the Spirit as well. But then the, the, the phrase that I've been trying not to say because I've got to explain it when I say it, and I will more next week, is a phrase that's common in churches during the sanctification periods, is this. I'll say, walk in the Spirit. A lot of times people are like, yes, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, walk in the Spirit... But here's why it's so important. And again, I'm kind of teasing for next week. But look at verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. Because if this one verse can be done, think about 
how our sanctification process will be. Because he says this, this I say, then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, Brad, why didn't you just start there on week one and then we're all done? We just all go walk in the spirit. We're never going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Life moves on. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful verse. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Have a good day, guys. That's all you got to do. So, but wh why don't we just do that then? Well, what does it mean to walk? Walk is taking repeated steps of faith. Just think of that little kid as he starts to walk. He just really slow, little steps, trusting that his feet are going to hold him up. Well, if I'm going to walk in the Spirit, it's, it's a daily, slow process of just trusting the Spirit of God. And a walking is one step after another. One day after another, one moment after one circumstance. It may be many circumstances in your day where you need it work or something where you got to, in this moment, I got to trust the Spirit and not get angry. In this moment, I got to trust the Spirit and not get anxious. In this moment, I got to trust the Spirit and not get frustrated. In this moment, that's walking in the Spirit every moment. Some of us, we struggle and it's, it's, it's just spiritual immaturity, but we'll do good one day or one moment. But if there's too many moments, then we just collapse. So to, I just handled this situation right. Great. But then 10 minutes later, I have another situation, and I handled it bad. What happened? You collapsed. Confess it. Get right with God. But you're growing in your faith. Walking in the Spirit is not easy because of the enemies of the flesh. It's taking repeated steps of faith, dependence upon God. It's saying to God, God, I need you. I'm trusting you to help me. Israel walked by faith in Egypt. And they were led by the pillar of cloud, but they stopped depending on God when things got tough. When they saw the Red Sea, things got tough, and they said, we can't do this. They needed to just keep walking by faith, cry out to God. Instead, they cried into Moses and said, why did you bring us out here? But Moses, thankfully, went to God because he was what we would call walking in the Spirit, and God allowed him to see something miraculous. So you and I have to walk in the Spirit. We're going to get more into that because you see what happens? Verse 17, he says, the flesh lusteth, that's an old English word, means is at war against the spirit. So all you have to do is walk in the spirit and you're fine. But the flesh isn't going to give up easy. He's going to constantly be at war or fighting with the Holy Spirit. So that's where we'll pick up next week. And I uh, appreciate you listening so well. Let's have a word of prayer and then we will get into that. And then maybe the first two fruits of the spirit next week. Let's pray.